A diamond is one of the, I guess it's one of the hardest materials that there are. In fact, that you use, you can use diamonds as a, a cutting device. Um, and uh, you can actually, they make saw blades to cut stone uh, with uh, particles of diamonds. In fact, we had a gentleman in our church in Orlando that literally flew all over the world selling diamond saw blades. <laughs> so anyways, diamonds are very hard. Diamonds are a valuable gemstone that it's a crystallized form of pure carbon. That carbon goes through a process of pressure and time that eventually produces a diamond. Today, if you go to a store to look at diamonds, there are, especially, you know, you, you begin to look at diamonds and you see, um, depending upon the cut and the way they're cut, uh, that you see like the very, the different angles, the different facets uh, of, of the diamond. And the jeweler will call attention to these different angles, these different facets, uh, and, and the cut of the diamond. And there are many angles and, and things that will catch the light and, and, and kind of just, you know, bounce, bounce out at you. Now, when a jeweler shows diamonds and expensive jewelry, they usually do that. Uh, they usually contrast the jewelry and specifically diamonds with a backdrop of, of dark black velvet. And the reason is because they're creating a, like a very stark contrast, and they want uh, just the uh, just the beauty of that diamond just to kind of jump out at you. And it's the contrast is amazing, and so you see it. And we need to see the just like that. We need to see the contrast uh, and the amazing uh, difference in the gospel. Uh, set against the darkness of this world, when you look at the gospel, it is an amazing contrast. And God is working in and through his gospel and what he did, the, the redemption plan, and he's, he's doing something incredible in the lives of people across the world and throughout time. And, and that's an incredible, incredible thing. And contrasting that to the lives, those that would just kind of continue on in their lives without God, perhaps hearing the message, perhaps even growing up around it, or in some way coming in contact with it, and then just kind of keeping their distance from it so that the gospel uh, never comes and, and operates in their life and, and produces what God wants to do in their life, which is literally bringing us from the dust that we are to that precious gemstone that, that we are in Christ. Amen? In the, in, the, in the opening chapters of Genesis, there's this passage, and it comes up, actually, we just, Mary Jo and I were just talking about this, because it's a, a question people come up with every once in a while. Um, the biblical uh, grounds, is it okay, in other words, for cremation? Is it okay if you cremate your your loved one or whatever. And um, this was the question. And so I 
go right to the passage where God said, you know, you are dust, from, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. So it kind of really, you know, you, you know, God said it in Genesis 3, so that's kind of it. We are dust, and we're going back, back to dust. But that's kind of a picture of like our, our physical nature. But God is doing something beyond our physical nature, and he's creating us into this uh, wonderful work of his art, his workmanship, and he's creating us into literally a captivating gemstone. And, uh, and it's all through what he did uh, in his gospel and coming and giving his life on the cross. So in Romans chapter 5, we're going to see tonight, we're going to see that contrast. Um, there's in Paul's writings and um, other biblical authors, they will be writing their book, writing their letter, and they're making a case, they're making their point, and there will be times when they've kind of made the case a little bit, and then they'll come to kind of this therefore statement. There's a couple of those in, um, in Romans. One of them is, is tonight in chapter uh, 5, verse 1, the, probably the, one of the biggest therefores uh, in the Bible is the one that we're going to come to when we get to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And that's kind of like the, the therefore where he says, look, in light of everything I've said so far in the first 11 chapters, therefore this. And uh, so, so, so here's like kind of a, a, a minor uh, one. And, and he contrasts uh, where, where we were without God, without Christ, just lost in our sins, and then us coming into Christ, receiving Christ, and the incredible thing that now is the reality of our lives in Christ. And it's literally a process of God taking us from just dust and, and, and putting us through time and pressure and creating a beautiful gemstone uh, of, of His. Amen? And so we're going to look at this tonight. First, uh, if you're taking notes, we're confirmed by faith in Christ. Let's pick it up in, in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So he comes to this therefore, and the therefore here is therefore, here, here's what your life is now. You, you were away from God, you were just lost. There was just kind of no hope. Remember, we went through that spiritual x-ray, and we went through the x-ray, the spiritual x-ray machine, and it was the worst of all diagnoses. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, you're absolutely hopeless without God. But God did something about that through the Son, Jesus Christ, and He has uh, done an incredible work in our lives. And now, because of that, there is a reality in our life, and that reality is that we've been confirmed in him by faith. Amen? And you will, depending upon your upbringing, 
Some of you may have an upbringing where in certain churches, certain uh, streams of the church, uh, they have what they call a confirmation process. You know, and you go through a confirmation and uh, you go through whatever it is. Maybe it's a series of classes and maybe you have to be a certain age uh, to, to be confirmed and, and uh, you go through the whole process and then you get to the end of it and they say, ta-da, you know, you are now confirmed. And what the confirmation process in a lot of those churches gives you uh, the access to is it literally gives you the access to the, the, uh, the, the Lord's Supper. You're now able to partake of communion, the Eucharist, or whatever it's called in, in, in that particular uh, stream of the church. So, uh, so now you're able to receive uh, the, the communion elements because you are saved. Now, the Bible tells us that we are justified by faith in Christ. We're justified by faith in Christ. In other words, when you put your faith in Christ, when you said, Jesus is Lord, you are Lord of my life, and I believe that you, the Son, was raised from the dead, you were born again, you were born from above, you were brought into the kingdom, brought into the family, and you were confirmed. Amen. You were confirmed. You were in that moment. You were justified. Um, just like you know, there's there's that moment of birth. Amen. There's that moment that baby comes out, and you there we have a baby. Amen. <laughs> we have a birth, and there was that moment that you believed upon Christ. There was that moment that you trusted in Christ, and um, you know, for some, you can remember back to exactly when that was. You know exactly where you were. You know exactly what you were doing before that. And you remember, you can even, you know, you remember the night. You remember what you were wearing, where you had, where you went to eat that night or where, what you had to eat. For others of us, it's, you know, we, for those that maybe grew up in the, in the faith or grew up in, in, a, in a Christian home, it's kind of like, you know, we were just, you know, hey, you know, we were brought up in and around this thing. But then still, still, there was a time that we put our faith and trust in God. Um, Because no matter what environment you were brought into, even if it was a Christian environment, you still had to come to faith in Jesus for yourself. And, you know, we've said it before, we keep saying it, there's no grandkids in the kingdom. There's only first generation kids. Amen? Uh, because you have to be born uh, by the Father above. Amen? Amen. So we're confirmed. We're confirmed in the kingdom. We're confirmed. You are confirmed, Christian, by faith. By faith in Christ. Look at it again in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've been justified by faith. And that has created a result in our lives and some some benefits. We now have peace with God. Amen? We have peace with God. Before our salvation, we did not have peace. Uh, Paul describes humanity in, in our fallen state as literally being 
against God, that there's enmity between God and man. And, and um, that's just that's the way it is. There, there is that enmity because we're in that fallen state. We're, we are sinners. We are outside of the commonwealth, the, the kingdom, the family. And, and, and we, don't have that, we don't have peace with God. We don't have peace with God. But that's one thing that Jesus came to do. He came to be a sacrifice for our sins. He came to give his life as a perfect sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And when he became that perfect sacrifice, encompassing all five of the Levitical sacrifices in the beginning of Leviticus, he became uh, our peace offering. Amen? And when he became our peace offering, there was peace made with God. And we have peace with God because we've been justified by faith, because we've been confirmed by faith in Jesus. We now have peace with God. We once were far away, but now we've been brought near. We've been brought to that place where we have peace. The, the biblical concept of peace is not just kind of, you know, well, everything's kind of calm. You know, everything's just kind of like, you know, the lake is still, it's peaceful. You know, it's, it's, it's that the Hebrew word from, you know, this is obviously the New Testament, but like in the, in the, in the Hebrew, it was the, it's the word shalom, right? And it literally is the idea of absolute wholeness. It's absolute uh, completion. It's wholeness in every way. And uh, it's, it's a very powerful, powerful word. And we have that. We have that because we've been brought into salvation. And this was foretold that Jesus would do this for us. It was foretold. Got to take you back to one of the famous verses of Scripture in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, 5. It's it's a great verse, amen? It's Striper's verse, right? <laughs> Isaiah 53, 5, it says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Amen. And so there was a chastisement for our peace that was upon him and he took that, he became the sacrifice and we now have peace with God. And because we have, well, let me just say one more thing, we'll move on. Peace with God is the idea of having sweet communion with God. Amen? I won't touch on this real long because we're getting ready to start our Who is Jesus series and we're going to be tackling a lot of this stuff. But the idea of the peace offering, the peace offering was the, was the one offering that you would bring that particular offering and there would be some of it that was uh, for lack of a better way to put it, barbecued, and, uh, and, and there would be that half of it that would be consumed that was the Lord's portion, and then there would be the portion that was, that was burnt up or cooked, if you will, and, and, and that the person would eat and partake of. And so it really speaks of that communion with God. And I've got a section in the book, it's called a Barbecue with God. And, uh, and, and it's the idea of he's our peace offering, and we have that peace with him, and that's, that's the state of our lives that we have. And so whenever you feel like, 
you feel like, you know, this definition of peace over here, which is like, you know, oh, everything's calm. And maybe you feel like, oh, it's not calm. You need to remember that, that you have been given peace with God and that you have that communion with God and that you can go directly to him. And you have been brought to that wholeness and that healing um, in Christ. Amen. And then the other part of that is you have peace with God, but you have access to grace. Look at it back in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through whom we also we have access by faith in, into this grace in which we stand. And so we have access to grace, and we have this continual access. The, the access was given to us. We were given uh, kind of entree into the Holy of Holies. When, when, we, when Jesus uh, was crucified on the cross, you'll remember that the veil was torn from the top to the bottom and literally literally opening up the Holy of Holies. The, the Holy of Holies was just boom, opened up, and there's the throne of God. There's the Ark of the Covenant. There's the cherubim on top of the Ark, the mercy seat that Chris was talking about before the service. There it is, and it was opened up when he gave his life on the cross. And when you come into the kingdom, you come into the family and you're confirmed in him and you have peace with him, you literally have that direct access to the throne room of God. You have access to the grace of God. Um, it, it, you, are, you can go right in, amen? The writer of Hebrews writes, in Hebrews 4.16, I'll have it on the screen for you. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's a mercy seat and a throne of grace. Amen? It's a mercy seat and a throne of grace. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you get uh, what you don't deserve. And uh, did you get that? Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And so it's a mercy seat, and it's a throne of grace, and we have direct access to it. We can go right in. And so the, the, the thing for us as Christians, you know, John said that, you know, in his epistle, he said, if you don't have sin, if you say you don't have sin, you deceive yourself. You know, he says, I write these things that you might, that you may not sin. You know, I want to write these things to you that you, that you won't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate, Christ Jesus. And that's where if we stumble, we fall, we realize we have missed the mark once again, we've got to go back to the throne of grace. We've got to realize right then that we've got that access to grace and we can go to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. Amen? And it's amazing when, you know, you know if, if, if you fall and it's just kind of like a, like a stumble and you get back up, oh God, and you come back to the throne of grace, the, the, the mercy seat, and, 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 and you just do that. But then there's the time when people just kind of, they're, they're, they're heading in the wrong direction. And they're kind of one of the reasons why they might head in the wrong direction is because they feel, feel like they've maybe gone down a particular road. And, you know, I, 
how do I get off this road? You know, I'm just kind of going down this road and it's the wrong direction. It's the wrong way. And where's the nearest exit? I don't see one. There's always an exit. <laughs> there is always an exit to veer off, get off on, on that exit and go straight to the mercy seat, go straight to the throne of grace. You know, you look at David after the whole Bathsheba incident, you know, that whole thing. And then he writes Psalm 51. He's confronted with his sin by the prophet and he's just laid bare, you know, before the Lord. And he just is repentant. He wants the grace. And if you go to the Lord and you want his grace and you want his mercy, wow, he's going to give it to you. You know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The writer of Hebrews goes on in chapter 12, and he says this in, in chapter 12, verse 15. I'll have it in the NIV on the screen for you. He says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile man. And this, is, this, this would be the tragedy, right? This would be the tragedy, to have absolute full access to the throne of grace and then to miss it. Wow. Then to miss it. Then just to keep heading down that road, just to keep going and you've got your pedal to the metal and just, you know, you need... You need Blue lights to come on. <laughs> Get off on the next exit, right? And uh, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one, because if you miss it, I think what this verse is saying is, if you miss it, eventually, ultimately there's going to be a root of bitterness that grows up in your, in your life. You may not see it at first, and you may think, oh, well, I got it together, and I'm doing it. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You're going to, have a root of bitterness that's going to grow up in you, and it's not a happy... He says, to cause trouble and defile you. To defile you. And God doesn't want that for you. God, I mean, He's so gracious. He's so gracious. He, he, he forgives us, and he, he, he lets us have that access to the mercy seat, to the throne of grace, and how He wants us to come. But the writer goes on, Paul goes on. So we have... We have peace with God, we have access to grace, and then we also are encouraged to rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Let's look at it, pick it up in that second half of uh, verse 2 there, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So we glory, we, we, we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. We have, when we come into the kingdom, when we come into the family, we, we definitely get a taste of that. We definitely get a taste of it. But, I mean, we, 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 we haven't like fully experienced it like we're going to experience. There's going to be that time that is going to be... It's kind of like, you know, there's this, this idea in Scripture that the already and not yet, you know? So it's like we've got it, but yet there's going to be this thing that's going to come, this glory that we're going to experience, this, this glory that's going to be seen. But 
it's so important that we rejoice in the hope of God's glory now because this is what man was created for. Man was created to have, to experience the glory of God. This is what we are missing. This is what people that are searching through, through life, you know, and uh, they don't have it, and uh, they, they need it. And different philosophers have coined different terms. I believe it was, um, I want to say Pascal, who came up with the idea of the God-shaped hole, that there's a God-shaped hole in every person. And it, and it really, you know, the, the idea of a God-shaped hole is like, you know, you think of this little you know, Iron Man thing, and you just, you know, you know, put, put God in there. But really, it's like God, the glory of God, like, you know, on us, like, the, you know, the glory of God. And, and that's what we're missing. And, and people will, will go, and they will search, and they will try to find, and they, they don't find it. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you are, um, you know, the, the, the poorest person, in the, in the earth or the richest. And in, in, in a lot of ways, it, it, we see the, a lot of the, those that are the richest are the ones that are the most desperate. Um, and uh, it's, it's amazing because they kind, of, they kind of come to the end and they realize, you know, they kind of have done that Solomon thing where they have not deprived themselves of anything. So you read, read Ecclesiastes. You know, if you don't know what to read, maybe read Ecclesiastes. I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's a wild book, and and literally, uh, Solomon says he did not deprive himself of anything. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. I mean, like a thousand women and everything, right? And um, <clears throat> and at the end of it, he just it's all vanity. It's all emptiness. It's all just. It, 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 it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't give meaning. What gives meaning is to know the Lord, to have that reference point of God in our lives, that, that, that we know Him, that we fear Him, and that we live for Him. Amen? And that's ultimately um, what, uh, what we need. We, need. we need the glory of God, we, and we rejoice in the hope of, of the glory of God. Amen? Man has fallen short of the glory, and one day we will share in the glory. Amen? And that's the hope we have. We've fallen short of it. We've been redeemed. And one day we're going to fully share in the glory. Amen? In fact, this is the way John puts it in his epistle in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, and I'll have it up on the screen for you. It says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we are, he says, we don't know exactly what it is we're going to be, but it's, it's going to be incredible. God is, you may be looking around and you look and, 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 and it's maybe not dust, but you feel like, well, I'm, I've, I've gone from dust to mud. <laughs> you know, I've, I've got a, you know, a mud, you know, like the women that have the mud, you know, 
put the, the, the cream on the face and Mary Jo getting, you know, I'm like, ah, you know. <laughs> right? But uh, maybe you've gone from dust to mud. We're going, we're going all the way, baby, right? We're going all the way. We don't know exactly what it is. We're going to be glorified with him. We're going to see him for who he is. We are going to be like him. And it's going to be incredible. And, and, and John says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we rejoice in the hope of God's glory and that we're, that, that we're going to share in that glory, right? But then he goes on, not only do we, we share, we rejoice in the hope of God's glory, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Look at that. Pick it back up. He says, and not only that, verse 3, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So this is really a, just a stark difference for the believer. Amen? Because this is, this is something that for the Christian, we have this admonition in, in the text of Scripture that we're to rejoice in sufferings. Mm-hmm. Rejoice in sufferings. I mean, it seems like just to even say it, it just seems kind of crazy, really. What? Rejoice in sufferings? Rejoice in tribulation? I mean, what kind of a sense does that make? Well, it makes sense in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, because God is doing something. Through the tribulation that you may be going through, through the suffering that you may be enduring, God is doing something. God is working in all of that for your good. He's continuing to mold you. And that tribulation is doing something. And we have to be aware of this, Christian. Maybe, you know, I think what happens in, uh, there's a thing with Christians where, you know, people get saved and then some people just kind of you know, just grow and grow and grow and they keep on that path. And then there's the, the, the one that maybe just, you know, they, they grow for a little bit and then they just kind of stall out. And then you, you wonder like, well, what happened? Well, what happened? Well, perhaps what happened was somewhere in their mindset, they, they thought that, well, wow, if I give my life to Christ, it's going to be a bowl of cherries, right? I mean, it's going to be easy street. I mean, it's going to be this and that. You know, no, it's going to be great, but there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be suffering. And through those tribulations and sufferings, God is doing something and he's going to continue. And we've got to be ready for that. And not only do we have to be ready for it, we need to rejoice in it and be ready and knowledgeable in the fact that in that suffering, in that tribulation, God is going to be working on stuff. He's going to be furthering that process. He's going to, through that pressure, through that testing, through that trial, that, that, that pressure. See, because he's taken you from the dust that you were and the dust, and, and, and he's, cre- he's creating you into this beautiful gemstone. So this test and trial and time is working, and God's working in it, and he's doing an incredible thing. Now look at what Paul says here. He says, we also glory in tribulations, knowing, Christian, knowing we've got to know. Christian, this is something that we need to know. I mean, we need to know it right now. Now, you may be, okay, if you're not going through a tough time or a tribulation right now, 
Now's a good time to just know this now. So that when that trial comes, when that tribulation comes, when that point of suffering comes, that you already know. And you can remind yourself, well, guess what? I know something about this. <laughs> I know something about what's going on here. God's working. God's working in me. He's doing something. We also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. What's that? Tribulation produces perseverance. It's patience. Patience. It's endurance. It's endurance. You see, the Christian life is a marathon. It's not the 100-meter dash. Okay? It's not, um, what's his name? Hussein Bolt out there. You know, Hussein Bolt, great. You see the little kid that wants to be just like him? That that's runs, the, he was clocked at like a 13. Yeah, the, he, yeah, 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 look it up, Google it. Little kid, that, little, <clears throat> little kid that wants to be just like Hussein Bolt. But this is not the 100 meter dash. This is the 26.2. This is the 26.2, which means it's the long race. It's the long haul. It's, it's, and, and that's what we're called to. And the reason why, you know, you got some people that just kind of, you know, they sputter. They're, they're like the, uh, you know, they're like those dragster cars, you know? They go like, what is it? Like 200 feet, you know? And then, oh, boom, oh, there's the, yeah, it's over. It's like, what happened? I mean, if you blink twice, you miss the race, right? <laughs> what just happened? No, no, no. This is a marathon. This is a long haul. You're going to need a second wind. You're going to need refreshing. You're going to need, you're going to have to have patience. You're going to have to have endurance. You're going to have to have perseverance. You're going to have to have that within you that when you're running the race, when everything within you says, well, that's it. I just, I'm, I'm done. I'm quitting. Like when you're running and you, like they talk about running, you talk about, hey, this is why I don't run. But uh, <laughs> we need your, we need Everett's shirt. <laughs> we need Everett has a great shirt that he can tell you about. But, um, but you, they talk about hitting the wall, right? And, and then they've got to, they've got to, you know, keep going, keep going. And then you get to the second wind or whatever. <clears throat> we got to get, we got to have endurance, you got to have endurance to press through. So the tribulation is going to, if you know what the tribulation is going to do, you know that it's there to work in you patience and endurance. But if you don't know it, it can spit you out of the race. It can spit you out of the race. And that's why, Christian, we have to know it. We have to, we have to glory in tribulations knowing that tribulations produces patience, endurance. And perseverance. Perseverance per brings character. When you're enduring, when you're enduring, when you have that patience, it brings about the character that God is building in your life. You know, if you're going to be a runner, if you're going to be a successful runner, you know, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to run 26.2 miles. You just don't, it don't work like that. You know, I mean, it starts off where you run, you try to run like two or three miles and then like the next day you wake up and you're like, what did I do? You know, <laughs> you know, and you're like this, you go to bed the next night and you're like, ah, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And uh, it's bad. So you've got to keep, you've got to, you, you keep going, you keep going. 
And when you keep going, you, it produces character in you, produces that, that, that thing in you that says, this is what I do. It produces in you that thing that says, this is, this is who I am. This is what I do in my life. This is where I spend my time. This is where I put my attention. This is where I put my treasure. And this is what I do with my uh, family. You know, I saw this, I saw this meme. Don't you love memes? <laughs> I saw this great meme, and it had the little kid in Little League, and he's up at the plate, and it says, your kid has a, a .002863% chance of being a professional athlete, but there's a 100% chance that they will stand before the throne of God get them to church. <laughs> and I just loved that. I just loved that. In fact, I'm gonna, I, I gotta go find that, that meme. And, um, and, and my dad used to be on that big time. He just, oh, the, the parents, you know, you, you wanna take your kids all over town and get them the best soccer pants and the best soccer cleats and whatever, and we're gonna do this. They're not playing soccer. They're gonna play for a couple years, but guess what? What God wants to do in their life is something that, that is going to produce in them the character that's going to last a lifetime of who they are when they have to have character in the moment that says, this is who I am and this is what I do. Yes. Yes. And that comes from glorying in the tri tribulation, allowing that tribulation to produce patience and endurance, and allowing that endurance to produce the character in us. Amen. And then one more thing. And, uh, and, and wow, we didn't get very far tonight, did we? <clears throat> I was going to go to chat, verse 11, but I think we'll end it here. He says, and character produces hope. Character produces hope. When you have that character, when you realize who you are, when it's been ingrained in you because of the tribulation and the, the perseverance and the endurance, and because the endurance has produced that character in you that, that you know who you are, that you know what you do, and you know why you do it. That there is a hope that settles in on the believer that is, is, is just a powerful, powerful thing. Because we have a hope. We have a hope in everything that God is doing in us, everything that he's going to do. And, and, and Paul goes on here and he says, verse 5, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So Christian, we have a hope. We have a hope. You may look at your life tonight, and, 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 and on the continuum between a handful of dirt and the hope diamond, you go, well, wow, I'm closer to this. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm more in the mud stage <laughs> or whatever. Christian, you're on this continuum and God is bringing you to that place and He's done it. He's doing it because he has poured out his love in you. He's given you his Holy Spirit. Amen. He's put his Holy Spirit on deposit with you. He's put the Spirit 
of his son cries out to the Father, Abba, Father. Amen? And if you can resonate with all of that, if you can hear that and go, yeah, that's me. That's what God's doing in me. That's, what, that's who I am. Then, then, you're, then you're, you're part of the kingdom. Amen? <laughs> you're part of the kingdom. And, and I'll close with this. If for whatever reason you took the off-ramp, you got off, you were in San Antonio. <laughs> you were in San Antonio, Texas. Okay, I've been all over the place. I've been in all these cities. I, I get out of the airport. I get a rental car. I can drive in almost every city. San Antonio, just nuts. <laughs> they got the side roads, the highway, the upper level highway, and then all the exits that go like Google had no idea where we were. <laughs> you might be somewhere where Google has no idea where you are. Get off the road, get back on the highway to Jesus to the throne room of grace. Amen? Because if you've been brought into the kingdom, you've been given direct access to the throne of God. Amen? The grace of God.